So the other day I asked someone a, a, a really bad question. I said, hey, are, are you self-aware? And it wasn't because this person was or wasn't self-aware. I was just trying to get to know the person. And I said, hey, are you self-aware? And in hindsight, that was a really bad question to ask. And I think it was a bad question to ask for a couple of reasons. Number one, if someone wasn't self-aware, how would they ever know that they weren't? I mean, that's, I feel like, pretty logical sense of reasoning there. If people aren't self-aware, they probably don't have systems and checks in place to know that they are not self-aware. But I think the second one is that most people would believe that they are self-aware, but in reality, that's not necessarily the case. The Har- Harvard Business Review says that 95% of people believe that they're self-aware, meaning that they, they know what emotions they have and the reasons why they have the, those emotions, they, that they're aware of their surroundings, they interact well socially because they understand the room, they understand the people around them, they understand where they fit into that equation. 95% of people think that they're very self-aware. But what Harvard Business Review found out was that in actuality, only about 10 to 15% are actually self-aware. Being self-aware is extremely important. It's, ex- it's important in leadership. It's important in parenting, knowing how to talk and maybe punish our children. It's, it's really important in all aspects of our life. And it's extremely important when we talk about recalculating. We've been discussing how to recalculate our life or, or recalculate our plans and trust in God when our plans fail. Over the past couple of weeks, we, we've been diving into that subject. And one step that's extremely important when we talk about recalculating is self-examination. Because here's the reality in when we are making new plans or when we are looking at plans that failed, when we were recalculating things in our life, the reality is something could have failed, something could have gone wrong because you were the problem. Because I was the problem. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today of when we're recalculate, recalculating our life, recalculating plans in our life, and we're trying to trust God in that, what happens if we don't look to see that we were the problem? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning. Matthew chapter 26. We'll be looking at a pretty familiar text for, for many of us, but I hope that in this moment that God will show you some new things in there to apply to your life and maybe some some nuances that you can see in the disciples and through Jesus that will help you recalculate when your plans fail and we trust in God. So here we go, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start off in verse 17. It says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now, 
it's very important that we understand the context of what's going on because we're going to look at the story in, in full. And so the Passover is a, the beginning of a really big celebration. It is a holiday, and, and really the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover are two separate holidays, but they were kind of joined together as one holiday, kind of looked off oftentimes as a longer celebration. The Passover is a one-day thing that would have began on that Thursday evening, and the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread would have been about a seven-day festival. But once you join it up with the Passover, it becomes about this eight-day festival. And like many holidays, even today, when you have these large holidays, what happens? Families gather. Large families, extended families gather. And so what everyone was, would be doing in this time is they would have come to this very populous city and they have... Uh, certainly brought more people with them. They brought stuff, their camels, whatever. And so the city would have been very busy. It would have been just a busy time. And what would you need? You would need a large table and a large gathering space for everyone to meet. And so this is what Jesus was getting his disciples to do. He goes, hey, we need a large space. And just like Jesus always does, he comes through, he provides a space, even in the midst of a time where if you were to say, hey, we need to try to find a, a, a place to break bread together to, to do the Passover feast for 13 men, uh, you would probably be told, uh, we're, we have no room here. Very similar to how Jesus' parents were told that when they were trying to give birth to him. There's, there's no room. But yet, Jesus has a plan, and they find a space. They find a space where large people could gather. A large group of people. They, might, they probably weren't large people. <laughs> Catch up. Verse 20. Here we go. So when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now this is what you can imagine as an impactful moment. These men had served and lived together for the past three years. They had seen Jesus do amazing things. They had risked everything to follow Jesus in this moment. And Jesus Jesus had just finished washing their feet. And the night, right here, as they're gathered together, they're having this sweet moment, comes to a screeching halt. When Jesus says to them, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And I think this is sometimes how our plans work. Everything's going smoothly and it looks like operations as normal, but then they come to a screeching halt. And it's important to, that, to remember that when the plan that you had comes to a screeching halt, when it stops, when it, when it looks like it's about to break, Jesus is still at the table. Jesus is still in this place of celebration and remembrance with the twelve disciples. He is still in a place where I just washed your feet. I'm in a place of servanthood. He's still present in the moment even as what looks to be plans falling apart. Jesus is there. In many ways, he's looking at them as he looks at us in his scripture and says, even while you were still sinners, I died for you. 
Now, he hasn't died and resurrected at this point, but it's the same message. He's sending to the twelve, like, hey, one of you are going to betray me, but guess what? I'm still present. Let's move on in verse 22. And they were very sorrowful, as you can imagine. And they began to say to him, after one after another, Lord, is it I? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now there's two points of importance that we really need to remember looking at this portion of the text. So Jesus responds to Judas, and it could be literally translated like this. When, Jesus, when Judas asks him the question, is it I? Jesus' literal translation answer could have been said, you said it. Those are your words, not mine. And instead of accusing Judas, Jesus allows Judas to indict himself. This is another point for us to remember that guilty consciences weigh heavy and are evident to those who are around us and who love us. Our guilty consciences come out in so many different ways that the people who are close to us, the people who love us and are around us on a regular, will recognize the weight that we are carrying. No matter how hard we try to hide it. This is why the Lord speaks through James in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to one another. Because going to the Lord, going to each other, will help unleash that burden to each other. That we can carry it with each other. And then, and then he says, at the latter part, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we try to bottle up our emotions and not let people in our life, we will explode. And you can see this in this moment with Judas as Jesus is gathered around with his disciples and he says, Hey guys, one of you are going to betray me. In that moment, Judas goes, I know it's me. I know it's me. And it's probably expressed in so many different ways and you can probably see the look on His face. I'm not trying to take away any attributes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that He could have certainly seen into His heart. But there's almost a sense that this guilty conscience was palpable in the room. That Judas was carrying this weight. And we need to let weight go. We need to find healthy brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to go to them and let it go. The second important part in this little passage is when Jesus is answering the disciples, their, their plea to find out, well who, well, who is it? Is it? Is it I? Is it Who is it? Jesus responds in verse 23. He says, He who has dipped His hand in the dish with Me will betray me. Now think about the Passover dinner. Think about what they're doing. They're breaking bread. They're dipping it into wine. and they're, They have all sorts of other, you know, it's kind of like a Seder meal. What are they doing? All of them will be dipping their hands into 
dish. This moment is a reminder to us that no matter how long that you have walked with the Lord, no matter how often you have gone to church, no matter all of the Bible verses that you can remember, you too have failed Jesus. You too have dipped your hand in the dish. We must fight the good fight and we need to finish the race. Think about Judas in this moment. Judas was a leader. Jesus had tons of followers. I think sometimes we reduce Jesus' followership to about 12 people on Instagram. We go, wow, he doesn't really have a whole lot of followers. But at this moment, three years into his ministry, Jesus, when he walked into towns, thousands of people would have showed up. When he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, a ton of people are there. He feeds thousands at different moments. Jesus had a massive followership. He was huge. I mean, he was making all the right moves at all the right times. Maybe not with all the right people because they didn't always like what he said, but he was an influencer of influencers. Jesus was the man. And Judas was on the inner circle of that. I mean, he was right there with Jesus at all times. He was one of the twelve. Judas made the cut. But look where Judas ended up. So it's an important note for us to check your heart. Because if Judas can mess up like this, so can you. So can you. Verse 30. And when they had sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of Me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now Jesus is telling them again. He is reiterating, you are all going to fail Me. That's an encouraging note. That you're all going to mess up. It's, it's, it's coming. And He uses this line from Zechariah chapter 13 to inform the disciples that He will be left alone because of this. He will incur more suffering because of their failure. But, it doesn't stop there. That He will reunite them. That after He is raised up, all will be made well again. And moving into the latter part of our text, this is a very important part for us when we're talking about recalculating. This is where we need to be careful. This is the moment in this story that we need to be very self-aware of. Verse 33. Peter answered him. So, let's let's pause. Jesus sits around the table with the twelve, washes their feet, has a great meal, says, hey, you're going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. Really, all of you are going to betray me. Judas knows in that moment that Jesus is talking to him. The other 11 have questions. They see Judas leave at one moment. You can see some you know, interaction differently in John chapter 13 where there's a possibility that Judas and Jesus even had like a little kind of side conversation. Judas leaves and the 11 are like, huh, but you know, Judas was in charge of money and so he could have been procuring other things and no big alarms. And so... 
the other 11 just kind of go about it. And then they, they, they go to the Mount of Olives. I mean, they're singing songs. They're, they're, they're uplifting. They're, they're pretty indecent spirits. And Jesus tells them again, like, hey, you're all going to fail me. Like, it's happening. It's almost like they would look at Jesus like, dude, you're really raining on this parade. Like, can, can we just like, keep moving forward? Because they're probably not seeing the picture. I mean, he just installed this new covenant with his blood and his, his body through the bread and the wine. And, and I'm not sure that they were completely grasping the weightiness of this moment that he is going to be arrested extremely soon, within hours, and then been murdered within days. And he looks at them. Again, you are going to fail me. And then Peter pipes up. Peter answered him. Look, though they all, talking about the the ten now, they all will fall away because of you. I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says to him, even in the midst of all of this, I will die with you. I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Peter, after being told twice that all of the disciples are going to fail Jesus, he still doesn't get it. I I imagine Peter almost like that young man who, a little stubborn, a little strong-willed, maybe a little pig-headed, just maybe has a little G-God complex, like I can fix all things, I'm here, I am a man. This is Peter in this moment. I'm not going to mess up. I'm going to do it right. And he finds out eventually that he would be no different. Think back to your life. Has there ever been those moments where you probably, you probably made the wrong decision because you thought you could fix something? You thought you had things under control. The plan was going like you thought it should go. And because of that, you kind of had blinders up. You, you, you weren't examining the situation probably like you should have. Because you thought you had it under control. Ah, I'm not listening to that. Ah, we're going to fail. Nah, Jesus, don't worry about that. We're good, man. I'm going to make it happen. You can put the weight of everything on me. By the way, my name means rock, like little boulder. You know, earlier you told me you're going to build the church off of me. I can handle this, Jesus. I can do this. What do we know about Peter? He goes on and he fulfills this prophecy of denying Jesus three times. But here's what I love about Peter and here's what I love about the story for you and I is that it just wasn't done there. It wasn't like, it's over. Peter just messed up. No. Peter denies Jesus three times, but through repentance and the grace of God, Peter would go on to preach to thousands of people, proclaiming Christ 
to the nations, the kingdom of God would explode through the faithfulness of Peter to the Lord. God uses broken people for amazing, perfect plans. See, Peter may have had a plan to be a strong leader for Christ. But he would have seen that plan play out a very different way. It would be different than he could have ever imagined and for good cause. Because if Peter never went through those trials, then the testing of his faith may not have, in, may not have produced the endurance that he would have needed to help build the kingdom of God in that way. Peter could have fizzled out early. But see, God knew what Peter needed. Peter didn't know what he needed. When life crumbles, when our plans fail, we need to remember that the Lord is good and that He knows what we need. We don't know. We're just like Peter. We don't always know what we need. So when our plans fail and we have to recalculate, maybe we need to look at ourselves and realize that we were the problem all along. We need to listen for the Lord's voice because He could be telling you right now, right now in this moment, that plan you're making here or that thing you're going to do there or that relationship that you have there, it's going to fail. He could tell you twice. Will you be like Peter? You say, no, I've got this. Jesus, you've entrusted me with everything. I'm going to Jeremiah 29, 11 this thing. I'm going to push through it. I'm a Philippians 4, 13 this sucker. We're going to do great things because you're inside of me. And what we forget oftentimes is that our failures can lead to great success. We need to remember that momentary failure fuels lasting success. We could be the problem, and failure is not always a bad thing. If you look at Peter's life, he would have never became the man of God that he needed to become if he did not first fail. Peter becomes that person through obedience and faith in Christ. Peter would eventually see that God's plan was greater than any plan he could have ever drawn up or dreamed about. And you and I need to see that when plans fail, it may be our fault. We may be a part of the problem. But the story isn't over. See, God is like a potter. And if we will entrust our clay, our life, to Him, then He will mold us into the image of His Son. So when plans fail around you, when we need to recalculate and trust in God in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of loss, in the middle of COVID craziness, what we need to remember is that we are probably part of the problem. We could play a large piece in that puzzle that is completely
completely broken. And when we can recognize that we're a part of the problem, we can quickly realize that Jesus is the answer. And that the problem itself may not be as big of a problem as you and I always see because the problem is just a step along the process. It is a momentary failure in a lifelong success that is down the road. Because various trials help strengthen our faith. We should endure them with joy as much as problems are not fun. We need to look at them from an optimistic point of view, from a godly perspective and go, man, maybe this thing is here to make me better, to make God's kingdom better. I can love Him more because of the problems that He's put in my path because those problems will bring me closer to Him. So, as we recalculate our lives, remember, as negative as it sounds, it's so positive. You're probably part of the problem. But that's okay. Because God is the solution. And through the problem, He will create a better and more perfect you through the process of sanctification. You are being made new in Christ. Repent of who you are. Put your faith in Him. And let's run after and endure the race with good faith. Let's run after Jesus with all that we have.